What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Down and Out, the sports and entertainment podcast, taking the world by storm. Dom Tibbetts alongside Evan Ryer. Two sports quote-unquote professionals giving our best shot at the world of podcasting, but we like to have fun and keep things loose, and a lot to get to today. Recapping the NCAA tournament, we have some NFL quarterback draft talk, and some troubles for the U.S. soccer team, Evan, but first of all, before we dive into any of that, how you doing this fine morning? Well, you said we have fun, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not having a whole lot of fun over the past, uh, you know, like five or six days, but... Uh, I, I do, uh, you know, this is kind of like sports therapy is, is, uh, you know, how I'm going to treat this podcast. So, uh, everybody at home can, uh, you know, really get an idea of, you know, how toxic I am when it comes to sports. (laughs) Well, and and what he's referring to is what we're going to dive into. We're going to start with a recap of the sweet 16 elite eight, really focusing more, I guess on these, uh, because it's happened more recently. Let's just go right kind of in these elite eight. Uh, matchups. We'll kind of break down how they got there because I want to start in the East where arguably some of the better games happened. Uh, First of all, um, Alabama beats Maryland. UCLA beats Abilene Christian. Florida State obviously advanced there uh, to play Michigan. Then it was Michigan, Florida State. Michigan prevailed over Florida State. UCLA, from the first four to the final four, they defeated Alabama and that's kind of where I want to start this conversation with you Evan because obviously you got to make your free throws heartbreaking loss for Alabama I don't know if Michigan ended up finishing above 50% and their free throw shooting against UCLA but I know it was right at right at about 50% and so I want to you know before we talk about you know anything realistic I want to talk about my conspiracy theory that UCLA was the final blue blood and they paid the NCAA <laughs> and, they, and to and the NCAA basically said we'll whack your asses if you don't miss all your free throws because it is absolutely insane uh, to if you think about you know two teams like Michigan and Alabama missing their free throws like they have and yeah I mean you know from an Alabama fan perspective it is truly heart-wrenching I mean it was you know to for Alex Reese to hit the uh you know the three to go into overtime, which and, by the way was a what I actually cheered. Like I was in the studio actually uh, doing a Sunday night show in the studio, and I literally remember watching it. I jumped out of my seat. I like screamed for you guys. Amazing shot. I I lost it too, and you know I even you know when it was sixty two sixty five. You know, I knew that uh, what's his name at UCLA, their head coach. I, I apologize for forgetting it right now. Mick Cronin. Yeah, Mick Cronin, you know, famously advocates for fouling when you're up three in that type of scenario. And, you know, Alabama was able to kind of dish the ball quickly enough. Alex Reese, you know, he's kind of a tall guy, was able to just get a clean shot away. And, and uh, yeah, it was absolutely, I mean, breathtaking. I mean, it was I, – I was in the middle of a work shift as well – and just yeah, pure screaming. My my neighbors, I apologize to, uh, because it was. <laughs> they have to understand. It's March Madness. They have to yeah. understand. But you know, at the end of the day, Alabama. I mean, like I said, the free throws are especially what's what's kind of heart wrenching. They also just had some stretches in the game that really they needed to be better and sharper on. If they were thinking that they wanted to be a Final Four, you know, much less Elite Eight team. Um, you know, I mean, there were definitely some calls too that if you if you go back and look at the you know final like five minutes, there's you know John Petty getting uh, the you know ball bounces off uh, the defender's uh, foot, 
it hits his shorts. It doesn't even hit his body. It hits his shorts, and that counts as a turnover. I mean, it was... Yeah, I think that, that, was a, that was a tough rule because I see why the refs called it, though, because the shorts, like someone's hair, you know, kind of a part of the jersey. It's a part of the body. But in that in that situation, that's where it comes back to, to really haunt a team. And I think you do have to kind of evaluate that a little bit. And it's just, yeah, I, I think bo- ultimately it boiled down to just kind of just a, a, a luck of the draw, not in Alabama's favor there. That was an unfortunate turn of events. And, I mean, it goes the other way, too, because, I mean, really, and, you know, you have to give them credit because they did it against uh, Michigan for the most part, too, is is UCLA just hit some absolutely wild shots when they needed to. I mean, mm-hmm. um, what's his name? Uh, the... Uh, Jacques, uh, the is that is that how you say that? I, I uh, think you're you're right on it. I was trying to. I knew it has something with like very like very French sounding, but it's not French in the slightest. Yeah, I mean he uh, he dropped. I mean he dropped two shots in that last last five minutes or so. That you know when they go in, you're kind of like, well, damn, like you know that's yeah, that's just gonna be that. So. It is what it is. It's uh, it's still something kind of you know. Obviously, for me, uh, you can probably tell, not something I, I I very much enjoy talking about. And I don't think you know it's Alabama fans were were debating last night. You know, is do, do we feel better about the team beating us going to the Final Four, or do mm-hmm. we think that you know if we were in that scenario, we would have beaten Michigan too? And well, that's kind of not. That's kind of where I feel good about your chances. Yeah, and that's kind of where I wanted to kind of gauge where you were feeling is because, you know, as we're going to get into, Michigan beats Florida State in the Sweet 16. They route them. I'm not going to Indianapolis anymore. Uh, Michigan then goes plays UCLA, loses by two. So UCLA punches their ticket to the Final Four, first four to Final Four. You'll love to see that kind of story, much like 2012 VCU. Do, Do you feel better with you, do you have a definitive answer to that question? Is do you feel better losing to a team that's now in the Final Four? It's still so soon after that. You know, right now I'm just so bitter right. that I I don't feel better, and I you know I do think that Alabama would be playing Gonzaga right now if they had gotten past UCLA, but you know woulda shoulda coulda. So yeah, you know at this point, I uh it, you know if you ask me what do you want to see happen against Gonzaga. I think the petty motherfucker in me would be like, I want to see Gonzaga win by 40 because I would assume that they would beat Alabama by 20 or 30 or 40. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I really don't think there's a there's no win here. There's no way for me to spin zone Alabama losing, you know. It's uh, it's sad. and uh, uh, but, but, you know, I, I, I mean – I think the good thing is you feel like Alabama has all the pieces there. You know, Nate Oates is a good coach. I think he he's building a good culture and a good foundation there. There's definitely room for How, optimism. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you're like, is it is it arrogant of me to say that like Elite Eight doesn't become their expectation next year without fully knowing who they bring back, who they who they kind of get? Like, I feel like you know, it's. Alabama's going to be there. They're going to be in that conversation and that mix come next year. I think I think the SEC will run through Alabama until Kentucky figures out what the hell they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's definitely how a lot of Alabama fans feel because if I mean, if you look at if you look at the potential starting five for next year, it is, you know, on paper a more talented team. I mean, JD Davidson, the number 1 recruit of the 2021 class is coming in next year. So 
I mean, the fact that Alabama's ever recruited the number one player in the country is wild in basketball. That's yeah, you know, I mean, that's very rare for us. It just oh my god, we're we're gonna have to oh my god. You just can't be both. You can't be both a football school and a basketball school. Not Alabama. You can't do that to us. Just- I the thing is is that I I really, you know, being I do think you count as a basketball school if you consistently make the Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight or, or so at the very least, right? And you know when you're when your conference, but well, they're building I mean, up towards that. It's it's, it's in yeah. the works, and if and if and I kind of think when it inevitably happens, it's just awful because obviously I'm an Alabama hater, like because I just don't like Alabama. So uh, it just it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. But I'm happy for them because I am also sick and tired of watching Kentucky all those years kind of run through the SEC with ease. I, I was a little. I like seeing something new. I just wish it wasn't Alabama. And, you know, right before we move on, all I'll say is that I I think in that regard, I think most people are already feeling this, but I think Nate Oates is a lot more likable as, like, a person and a coach than Nick Saban is, just because Nick Saban is so... 100, 100%, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, uh, Nate Oates' playing style of, you know, lots of threes, lots of driving to the basket, you know... That's always going to be something that people enjoy watching. I mean, Alabama's football offense is also enjoyable to watch, but, you know, when you see Nick Saban smiling on the sideline, I think, you know, a lot of people want to throw up in their mouths if they're not an Alabama fan. Yeah. For me personally, that's, you know, I've got that framed on my on my wall. So, um, but, you know, honestly, at this point in time, I don't have that much more to say. I'm optimistic. I'm happy with how far they've, you know, they've come at, you know, in, in such a short span, but... Yeah, the bitterness is uh, it's going to be uh, hard to get rid of. Well, and the good news is is that they won't be inevitably what we both believe is going to be the curb stopping because out of the West, Gonzaga, the number one overall seed, making it to the Final Four. Their road to get there, they handled business. A good win in the Sweet 16 over Creighton, almost a 20-point victory. And then the same thing, a 19-point victory against USC. Uh, they are in the Final Four. But I want to, just before we briefly talk about Gonzaga, we have to both admit, because if you heard us in the last show, we both had or. Oregon winning, and we were very wrong. Very wrong. (laughs) Big L's on us. USC looked phenomenal in in that Oregon game, and I was like, I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, I still think they lose to Gonzaga, but it's definitely a close game, and then I was double wrong. Back-to-back wrong on the Pac-12, so uh, chalk up the L. Chalk up the L. It goes to show that we still have that East Coast bias, even though we spent some time in the Pacific Northwest, so... um, but no, I mean, I think really with that with USC, I mean, the I don't want to say the magic had to run out at some point, but you knew that if Evan Mobley didn't, you know, have another, you know, insane performance against Gonzaga, it was going to be really really hard for them. Right. And you know, I mean, that's that's the thing is that USC's key players or key pieces were up for that Oregon game whereas Oregon as a squad just seemed a little slow. And, you know, we kind of brought up that, you know, okay, well, they had only played, you know, really, you know, I guess two games or one game coming into uh, uh, to the, the Sweet 16. So, you know, are they going to be as prepared, what have you? But, and I guess, I guess you could say that they weren't, but I mean, I don't know. I, I, and I also mentioned last episode that USC had Oregon's number in the regular season. They beat them 72. True. You did. What you did. What you did. And, uh, so, I mean, I still thought Oregon was going to win that game, but I wasn't necessarily shocked. I, uh, 
you know, I was shocked that it wasn't close, really, between Oregon and USC, to say the least. And then, yeah, Gonzaga is just, I don't know. They're a train. They're, 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 they're inevitable. You said it right as we were talking in our little discussion before we started recording, is they are the, the, the Thanos finger snap. It's exactly the way I think of it. They are inevitable. They are proving, they just proved it over and over and over. Because I think I made the reference last show, as I said that Gonzaga's biggest issue is they always kind of get this number one seed. They get this high prolific rating in the tournament, and they always let you down in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. That just doesn't seem to be the case this year. I mean, they, they are truly handling business like a top one seed should be at this point, and it's going to be extremely difficult, an extremely uphill battle for UCLA. March Madness can happen anything, right? I think we both agree with that, but if, if I'm a betting man, I'm riding the Gonzaga to cover this. I just... UCLA's magic, I think it just runs out against Gonzaga. They're, they're just so talented up and down that roster that really the only team I could see them having any sort of trouble with is over on the other side, Baylor, which we'll get to in a minute. I, I actually disagree about who's got the best chance left against Gonzaga, but um, uh, I definitely don't think it's UCLA. I think that you know UCLA could definitely be in that game and Watching them hit shots against Alabama, man, I, I mean, they, you know, if it's down the stretch, I could see, you know, a very tight game, a very do you think it's, contest. Do you think it's Houston? But I just think that the fact is, is that I think it's Houston, and we can get to yeah, that okay. here in a second. Yeah. I'll explain why when we talk Baylor-Houston, but I just think that, you know, Jalen Suggs, he definitely is now, I think, the best player left in the Final Four, although I can't think of that Baylor guard's name, but he's pretty insane, too. Um but Jalen Suggs, and then you got Drew Timmy on the inside with the handlebar mustache, just refusing to take an L ever, <laughs> looking like yeah, like looking like a champ, and and uh, the, ba- they, the basketball Gardner Minshew, the basketball I mean, version of Ga- Gardner Minshew. The the difference between Drew Timmy and Gardner Minshew though is that Drew Timmy is actually like like really 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 good. Yeah, like he's, no, he he, he actually excels been, at the sport he plays. He he like really has been just like you know, a, a phenom over the past, like, three or four games. And, and you know, I think that there's just a little too much firepower on both the, the front court and the back court at this point for Gonzaga for anybody to really keep up. Um, and, you know, I mean, like I said, UCLA's got a lot of talent between Juzang and Jaquez, and, but I, I just don't I, – I don't see it happening for them. And so I'll definitely take Gonzaga to cover, but – you know, I, I don't say that out of a spite way, really. I just think that's just the, the facts of the matter. And I, I just really have nothing more, I guess, to give other than the fact that I, I think Gonzaga is just, they're looking good. They're looking good to get themselves in the national championship. And then it brings me over. So I'll go to my point first of just switching over to the, the <laughs> south side as Baylor beats Villanova in the Sweet 16. They go and put a good game up against Arkansas. Fun run for Arkansas after they narrowly escaped Oral Roberts. What a run that was. And Shout out. Nearly, nearly escaped that game too. Yeah. Death taxes Oral, you know, book, yeah. book market. Um, Baylor getting there is also in that same boat, I feel like, as Gonzaga's. They're playing the type of basketball that you want to be playing right now. And I, I could maybe see your argument for Houston, and I'm going to kind of just combine both of these into talk because this whole time I really had nothing to – the south side of the bracket has been so kind of cut and dry past the round of 32 that I've never really been able to – 
really dive in with any hot takes, hot fresh something, something. You know, I I think Baylor has had their way. I think they've played really good, consistent basketball. Nothing that like jumps out at you at the scoreboard as I'm looking at. You know, a couple. You know, high single digits, low double digit wins, but there was never a doubt at one point where I feel like I was watching Baylor thinking, oh, okay, this is maybe the part where they lose. This is where they fall off. One seed's about to go down. I never felt that with them. Uh, I, they deserve to be in this situation. Houston, on the other hand, I think extremely interesting when you watch what that defense was able to do to the hot shooting Syracuse and then to Oregon State in the Elite Eight. It, I can understand why you picked Houston as well. I think if you're going to talk about their defense, I could maybe see their defense as being the team that beats Gonzaga, but I love the Baylor-Houston matchup. I think that's actually probably just because you don't want to see Gonzaga win by 30, which I think will happen. That's the most competitive matchup by far in this Final Four. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is, and and I think really with... With what I was saying about Houston matching up with Gonzaga, that doesn't mean that I think that they actually match up well with Baylor, because I I do think that while Houston will, uh, uh, I think you know that's the reason why I think they'll match up well with Gonzaga basically is because I do think that they 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 can play well enough in the paint and can be physical enough down there to deal with Drew Timmy and to kind of disrupt that game plan of like almost like in the out for uh for Gonzaga right. But, Whereas with Baylor, the issue is is that Baylor just has so much offensive talent and the guard spots that I don't know if Houston can really deal with it in any shape, form, or fashion. I think for sure Gonzaga can can deal with it, but but with Houston, I mean Quentin Grimes is going to have to have a really really good. You know, I mean he's been fantastic all tournament, but he's really going to have to have another great shooting day because I mean when you go look at Baylor's guards and and how much talent they have in that spot, it's I mean it's it's. It, I would say Alabama was the only other team that was as deep as them in that way. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think I, I do think that Baylor will win this game. I said that Houston's the, the better matchup for Gonzaga, but, you know, it's it's that's from a pure, like, tactical standpoint. I do think that Baylor is just, yeah, like you said, inevitable, mm-hmm. just really, really hot right now. And, I mean, you know, when you've got guys like – when you've got guys that, you know, are averaging – you know, 14, 13, 15 coming into the, exactly. to the tournament and, exactly. and, like, and elevating that. I mean, it's it's really, really scary. I, think, I just think at this point, too, is like, we've seen the upsets, right? There, there's been wild games. There's been great games down to the last second, buzzer beaters. I think at this point, I'm so, I'm very content with March Madness. Like, I'm very happy. This has been oh, I mean, a great a tournament. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> if, if I wanted to see a national championship, at, at this point, I think, like, the sportsier side of me is coming out. I want to see the one versus one. I want to see the two Titans, who have arguably been the two best teams in this tournament so far, go against each other. And, and that's why I, I'm rooting both for Gonzaga and Baylor, because I think that's a championship game that everybody wants to see, and I think that we truly do deserve. You know, like, it, obviously, UCLA versus, like, Oral Roberts, like that would have been fucking mind-boggling, right? Like unreal national championship. Yeah. But I, I think when you're going down to the core of seeing talent on talent and a game that will go right down to the wire, it's Gonzaga Baylor, and I, I, I hope they both pull this one out. 
it, like I said, if, if there's any sort of, uh, if, if, if that doesn't happen, I think it's Houston that beats Baylor, but you know, we shall see. And as you keep saying, marches, marches also just wild. You just never know. You never know. Maybe UCLA is just riding the, 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 the 1970s, uh, mystical ghosts and they're just going to keep on doing it. Yeah, it's very possible, but, um, no, I, I agree with you. I definitely think Gonzaga out of the, out of the one side and then, you know, I, I'm happy with Houston or Baylor getting there. Um, but I, and I think either way, it's going to be a really, really good final. So it's, it's, I can't really complain about what happens from here on out. And yeah, yeah it's been a good tournament. I mean, it really, like you said, I mean, it's been, my, I actually got, of, I actually had Gonzaga and Houston in my final four. So my bracket's actually not looking like awful, awful, you know, I got, so. I got Gonzaga and Houston, right? I thought, um, I thought I had uh, I had Ohio State and Alabama as well, which obviously yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it is what it is, and uh, I, I, you know, you can't really complain. It's it's just uh, it's just one of those things that, like I said, my entire like view right now is like masked by like, <laughs> yeah. sadness. It's understandable. So. I guess my my last thing to wrap this all up too is you know if you were listening to the last show, I'm a Syracuse fan as well. I I, I called it in the Sweet 16. You know, I'm not. I'm not that heartbroken by Syracuse. You know, they were probably in a position where they didn't really need to be or deserve to be in. And it was fun while it lasted. I understand where Evan's heartbreak comes from, you know, because, like, Alabama had a legit chance of winning a national championship. Syracuse didn't. And, and that and that was just on full display. They didn't bring the juice. And it was fun while it lasted. So I, I'm not heartbroken. I'm happy with what we've seen and what is to come. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Syracuse had a great showing. And, Really, like I said, at the end of the day, Sweet 16 was – that was kind of the bar for Alabama in the tournament, and they hit it so good. It's just the manner of, you know, if they were playing, you know, a, a, you know, I, maybe a higher seed, I would feel differently. But no matter what, getting to the lead eight was kind of, you know, the hope from that point on. But let's uh, let's just get on with our lives. I need yeah. to – I need to move on from the divorce and well, and you know, we'll find, get back into the da- dating scene. Evan, Evan, and I will break down our final four more in depth. We'll we'll talk about uh, some breakdowns, some stats, and players, all that stuff coming up in the final four preview show that we'll release later this week. So be sure to stay tuned to that. Before we go to our cash grab, we're going to talk a little NFL because the draft is ever approaching. Obviously, Evan, as a Jaguars fan, he's getting excited. He's ready. So. So much of this discussion is, you know, based on the the quarterbacks that we have in this draft. So I thought it'd be a good idea if we kind of rank our quarterbacks and see where they kind of fit here. I'm curious to get your thoughts on guys like Mac Jones, who's kind of fluctuating up and down the leaderboards. Uh, I'll start this with you. I think that we both have the inevitable number one overall. I think Urban Meyer thinks that way too. I would be shocked to see it go anywhere else, but uh, go ahead, go ahead and kick this one off. Yeah, you know, with pro days and everything else happening over the past two weeks, I just, you know, it's kind of been on our mind. I mean, it's been on everyone's mind because, yeah, it's 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 Trevor Lawrence number one. There's no questions asked. And then basically from there, you know, one of my favorite writers who covers the Jaguars, John Shipley, started an article recently really well, and he just said uh, the the New York Jets are on the clock. The Jaguars have already selected. It's already the yeah. Jaguars are not on the clock. That's it's that's now, that's an extremely good point. I I, it, I would agree with that. It, from there, it now becomes you know what's going to happen. Which I think you know I, uh, I I do think the Jets will take Fields, but I based on more and more, I I really do have a lot of respect, and I do think Justin Fields is going to be a really really good quarterback. 
but I'm having a hard time looking at Zach Wilson and not seeing a guy that is as equally, you know, exciting from a potential uh, standpoint. Um, I'll go ahead and say that Justin Fields is still my number two. I'll go ahead and say that right now um, because I don't really think he deserves to not be number two, especially since he's got the athletic attributes. Plus, I mean, he definitely had more impressive college performances. Don't get me wrong. Zach Wilson has his own. But uh, I, I definitely think Justin Fields is there. Um, and, and you know, I mean, I, didn't the dude run like a 4.48 at his pro day? It was, it was, it was yes. fast. It was pretty quick. I mean, that's – I mean, we know – we've seen that Lamar Jackson can – can win football games based on his ability to to run and to to extend plays alone to, to that degree with that <laughs> Josh <of> Allen. <clears throat> Sorry, yeah, whatever, I had to clear my whatever. throat there. Excuse me. Uh, no, but, I mean that's I think I think that's fair. I, I my I think, my number one is Trevor. My number two is, is is Zach Wilson. Just the more and more I see from him in the past couple weeks from from his pro day videos and and his scouting profile he's been really impressing me uh he kind of jumped that second spot over Justin for me but I I think you could interchange that and I don't think if you're the Jets you're going wrong with with picker picking either one of them I don't think so either I think it really just becomes you know get the guy that fits what you want to do because I do think that if you want to win out the gate with Justin Fields you know, or I mean, it's the case with any rookie quarterback. You got to give them help. You got to play around mm-hmm. them. But I think you know, out the gate with somebody like Justin Fields, you know, it's not. And I'm not saying that Justin Fields is this one-dimensional running, you know, quarterback because he's not. What more it needs to happen is that you need to use those skill sets that are immediately going to translate to the NFL. Whereas, you know, I I think that Zach Wilson looks like I mean looks dude looks like he can make any throw in the game right now and it's it's definitely exciting in that regard but I definitely feel like Justin Fields might be more useful out the gate just because of that versatility I mean Zach Wilson's no slouch of an athlete um, but by the way you know just real quick before we completely forget about Mac Jones I I do love seeing Mac get respect and people being like yeah oh, I I wasn't gonna I was not gonna forget about Mac Jones not in the slightest but but I agree with with what you're bringing up here because I think I think a lot of the early projection projections excuse me had him going kind of that mid round to late to the Patriots or whatever which obviously is like scary Bill Belichick going after you know a guy that everybody kind of made fun of when he was first you know for his athletic build whatever you know we've seen that happen with Tom Brady right and, and it, it is refreshing to see a guy who really had a great college career, you know, at Alabama, kind of get that respect that he that I that I think he rightfully deserved. And I think whatever team gets him, hopefully, does have the weapons around him to give him a, a good start. Because I think, like you said, for any quarterback, that's key. And I think, especially for Mac, whatever team he goes to, he's going to need a little bit of help. He's going definitely going to need a little bit of help. Well, it's it's I think really with him, what's yeah, he's definitely not a guy that just is a transformational you know in terms of ability I do think Mac Jones is like one of the most impressive things about him that I've learned is that you know this is a guy that you know when he was first at Alabama I mean Tua and Jalen Hurts and and all these different guys were there that you know were considered a considerable step up from him um, so for him to kind of go to this point is is something that I think is a testament to his mentality and to you know his uh, his ability to kind of uh, get with the program and to develop quickly. Um, I yeah I I do think that I I love Mac in a lot of ways. 
I do have questions about, you know, kind of his, uh, I would say his throwing speed and just general, uh, he can throw it deep, but he doesn't quite, he's not exactly famous for having but this, but like, he, But he, he comes off to me as a guy, if you put him around a good, if he has a good OC, he has a good quarterbacks coach, he has guys that can that can kind of help develop his game. Like that, Mac Jones playing for the New York Jets, I think is a dumpster fire. Like that, that's a, a situation where you need the, the one or the two to go there because that's a dumpster fire situation to be there. But I think of, I think of Mac falling to like, you know, I don't think he falls back that far anymore to like the Patriots, but <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just trying to th- kind of think of like a, a a team that's kind of, uh, I guess, earlier in the round that could be using a quarterback. Maybe Carolina Panthers. Yeah, the Panthers yeah, I mean, or the Niners that's, too. That's, that, that's those that's are kind of my projection. first two teams. So I I I think that's not a bad look for him. I, I and I think as long as he kind of gets that the guidance that he needs to develop his game, you know, in one to two years. You know, there, there, there's some consistency there. Because, I mean, you brought up Fields' mobility compared to Lamar Jackson. The only thing I want to bring up when you make the Lamar comparison is look what happened, the drop-off from year one to year two. And I'm not saying it's Lamar got any more worse. He's still a phenomenal quarterback. But teams figured him out. Like, it, it forced Lamar to have to kind of tap in to that next phase of his game. He really had to start upping his ability to be a pocket presence and, and help his passing game out. So that's where Justin Fields concerns me a little bit. And, and you kind of avoid that with a guy like Zach Wilson or Mac Jones because I feel like you kind of know where their strengths are and you just develop them from there. You're not It's, it's, it's not the, the jack-in-the-box. You know, It's not a surprise on when they're going to spring loose. It's it's very consistent with with those two guys in my opinion. But any team that gets them, I still I still feel pretty good. Well, I was gonna say real quick before anyone gets mad at home, Dom definitely means year one to year two for Lamar Jackson as a starting quarterback, not year rookie year to second year in which he yes. won the NFL MVP. Yes, but. Um, I, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't ever think of that first year. You're right. I'm sorry. I, I should have specified. You are correct. I'm sorry. I just. I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, I bet there's somebody who's just ready to like be a loser and like tweet at us about it. But um, no. I uh, I think that I. I do think Matt can be a, a really solid NFL quarterback. It's just like you said. It's just gonna take it maybe a little bit more time and. And you know, I mean, don't don't get it twisted. It's not like he's this uh, Tom Brady esque, crazy, unathletic coming out. I mean, dude ran a four point six eight at the pro day. I mean, he's not you know some like completely just you know uh, uh, Jared Lorenzen trying to you <laughs> yeah. know d- get. It, it's that's not the case. It's just a matter of I think that there's clear step ups with Zach Wilson with uh, Justin Fields, and you know you brought up you know the 49ers and. If you look at, like, Jimmy G, you know, in that system, especially in the year that they went to the Super Bowl, you know, Mac Jones seems like a good fit for that, and there's a lot of people who are kind of pointing that out. I don't think there's any way that they take Mac at the three spot now that they're up there. No, I, I, think, I, I think I think that would be absolutely wild if the 49ers did do that. Right. This that I, was kind. Of, I was this was just a note that I had jotted down that I had from a couple days ago before the 49ers made made that move. I I think it scheme wise it could have been a good fit, but you don't take him at the number three, and that that would just be I think a boneheaded move to go up and get anybody, but but you know. Uh, uh, Justin Fields, excuse me, that's who I'm brain farting well, on. That's that. what I was going to say. They're either going to get one of Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, and 
And I think that Kyle Shanahan knows with both those guys that they're going to be able to make the throws that he, I mean, he wasn't exactly asking a ton of Jimmy G over the past, you know, few years. So he, he, he doesn't really have to demand that much more out of them. And then on top of that, I mean, both those dudes have, you know, the kind of versatility that will only further complicate and open up what Kyle Shanahan can do on offense, which is scary to think about considering how complicated his shit already gets. Right. But, um, you know, and, and, and they, I, I think that truly, you know, I don't know if, the, you know, the 49ers are winning a Super Bowl next year or anything like that, but I really do think that Zach Wilson or uh, or Justin Fields, either of them, will quickly get developed. And, and, and I love Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan in that way. I mean, he's so good at getting guys up to speed and so good at taking young, raw talent and putting them in a system to does, you know, do you, do you think maximize Justin, what they can do. Does Justin start in San Francisco? I think, I think whoever they take should start. I could see a scenario where Shanahan and John Lynch, the general manager, say, okay, well, we really need to make sure that we give Jimmy G a chance because if you go look at their comments, they they haven't really said that whoever they draft is just this, you know, they've said it's going to be a quarterback, but they haven't said that, oh, well, Jimmy G is the backup. They haven't said right. that. I mean, who knows? If they trade Jimmy G before, you know, we get to that point, then that obviously changes the dynamic heavily. Um I could see Jimmy G starting a game or two, but if those mofos start, you know, zero and two, one and three, or something like that, very quick turnaround. I, I I think so. I mean, and I think if you take a quarterback in the top three, you're saying that this is a guy that you think can start right away. I mean, otherwise, why would you take him? You know, so yeah. And um, I I want our listeners to know too is that you know obviously that. You know, we, we aren't we aren't Mel Kiper Jr. We're not uh, Todd McShay, but I do want everybody to know when when it, when it comes. Well, we're about to be, but we're not though. I mean, you're Evan Ryer. I'm Dom Tibbetts. Our names are different, but I do want people to know that if there's anybody who's going to be able to give you the best 49er take that's coming from our kind of level, Evan worked for heavy.com and was a San Francisco 49er beat reporter. I just want to boost you real quick because I also want people to know that how valid some of these arguments are with that. And if there's anybody who spent more time covering a team during their not too great a time, it was you, Evan. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I kind of had bad luck with them covering them last season and, and, you know, right after the, the Super Bowl run. And there was a lot of hope and optimism in that fan base, but you know, unfortunately the injury bug caught them and, you know, it kind of just became clear that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is just, I mean, he's not a bad quarterback, but he's yeah. just not good enough really to consistently take you to NFC, you know, conference championships and, and the like. And, and so I'm not surprised that they moved up. I mean, the 49ers are one of the most interesting uh, teams when it comes to front office movements. They, they seem to you know, always be playing chess instead of checkers and, and always, you know, and at least in recent moves, it, they've generally paid off. Um, right. So we'll see. We'll see if this uh, gamble was, was worth it. And, you know, I think it'll be Zach Wilson who ends up going to him. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if he starts week one. So I think I think our first four is pretty, pretty solid. We both have Trevor, you have Justin, then I have Zach at two. So then our three, I think would you, so you put Zach at your three, I'd put Justin at yeah, my three. I would rather have Justin I, Fields. So here's where I, I just want, because there's one more quarterback I want to talk about before we go to the cash grab really, is you, you get to the four spot. My four is Mac. My five is Kyle Trask. 
And then yeah. I put and then I put Trey I put Trey Lance outside the top five. I I don't I don't maybe it's just because of my Montana State bias and I just didn't didn't care for Trey Lance. But I just after watching the fall of Carson Wentz, I think Trey Lance is by far a better athlete with with no doubt in my mind than Carson Wentz was coming out of NDSU. But there's always just that that little question mark I have with a guy coming out of the FCS. Trey Lance's potential, I'm just scared that the ceiling is so high for him that he just can't live up to it. And if I'm an NFL GM, I'm taking either Trevor, Zach, Justin Mack, or Kyle Trask above him. And you can maybe make the argument for Kellen Mond, but I would take Trey Lance over Kellen Mond. So I won't dive into that. But give me just, I guess, would you, you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts on a guy like Trey Lance? I think Trey Lance is definitely my five over Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond. I mean, the, he, like you said, I mean, unbelievable athlete in a lot of ways and, and has shown so much on tape, you know, against, you know, you know, admittedly lesser competition that, that he can do it. I mean, he's, he is, he is ferocious when he's playing his game, but granted he doesn't have a spotless college record and, and, uh, you know, there's just, there's, I think there's a few more questions coming in. But I don't necessarily think he has more to prove necessarily, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I think they all reset when you go to the NFL. I think everybody resets doing it at the NFL level. You know, your your college stats don't matter so much. But I think I think Trey Lance is definitely the guy I would take uh, over. And I mean, and I wouldn't blame anybody for taking Trey Lance over Mac Jones. I mean, I think really when you get to that area in the quarterback, you know, of, of this draft. You're you're kind of more talking about okay, well, what type of guy do we think fits what we want to do? Um, and I think Trey Lance is definitely very, very, very you know promising in that regard. It's just gonna like Mac Jones, gonna take some work, but for different reasons. And as much as I do like Kyle Trask, I think Kyle Trask has the same issues that Mac Jones has, which is you know Mac can you know they, I would say you know arm strength is the number one thing they have to show. Uh, when they when they both get into the NFL is that they can zip balls like what is required because mm-hmm. Max worst moments this past year when he kind of just you know it's a floater out to the right or you know left and you're just like ah damn it and Kyle Trask is I mean it's his number one issue I mean I would yeah. say Kyle Trask's only thing that stopped him from winning a Heisman Trophy and he might have should have won it anyways I mean really. You know, I, oh, I and think, unbelievable. I think well, almost 40, 40 passing touchdowns, forty five hundred yards I mean, he had through the air. Absolutely yeah. insane year, and I could definitely see Kyle Trask. You know, people. You know, when Gardner Minshew, not to bring him up again, we'll always bring up Gardner Minshew, folks. Um, We're a big, you know, big positive Gardner Minshew podcast. Big positive when, for Gardner when, Minshew. When he was first starting to have some success, it was kind of this whole idea of okay, well, he doesn't have the arm strength, but he knows where to place it. That's what Kyle Trask can do. That being said. Placing it at the NFL level is really, I mean, you have to literally be, I would say, a top five passer in the NFL to do it consistently. You have to you have to be so, so insanely accurate. And that's going to be Kyle Trask's big question is, is okay, well, you don't necessarily have the arm strength of some of your, your competitors right. in this draft. Can you consistently place the ball and always, pretty much always make the right decision? Because yeah. if you can't, you're, I don't want to say you're going to be Gardner Minshew, but that's kind of Gardner's big deal right now is that, you know, he just kind of has a, you know, a, 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 a just, he doesn't, doesn't quite have that arm strength. So it'll be interesting to see. My but, last, yeah. my last thing I just want to bring up before we go to the cash grab is, is, 
just overall for guys like Trey, Mac, Kalamon, Kyle Trask, I think you get past <clears throat> the first three. You are in a better position with a team that has, as you've mentioned, the a better lineup of guys that kind of help you uh, improve your play more. I guess is what I'm trying to say. You you have a good, you have some good running backs, a good receiving core. You do have the tools around you that better develop the guys that have a little bit more of those question marks around them. So I guess that's a positive. And I think if I'm one of those GMs in the the late late first or late middle first round, I feel pretty good about getting either one of them. It's all give or take, you know, it just, you, you, you don't know how to judge a quarterback until they, you know, put in some consistent reps as a starter and then you get to see them, you know, so I guess we'll see, but overall, you know, it's been a while since I've seen, I think we've seen a, a draft class with, I think 2017, probably the last time is, you know, with, with Allen and Darnold, since we've seen a, a draft class with so much quarterback talent. Uh, yeah. 27. Was that Allen, Darnold, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield? Yeah. 2017. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. what it is. I mean, that's, that's probably the last one. And I would even say that, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's, you know, remains to be seen, but the potential for this draft class, I would say is at the moment higher than the 2017 class, just because I could see all the way down to uh, uh, to Kyle Trask. I can see all the way down to him. These are six guys that could be really, really good. Like mm-hmm. they could all be NFL starters at bare minimum, potentially, you know, top half or even top 10, top five, you know, or in Trevor Lawrence's case, or potentially Justin Fields's case, in my opinion you know, franchise changing quarterbacks. Right. Um, so it's a, uh, it's definitely exciting to see. And I mean, it's a, uh, it's, it's fun to play matchmaker and try and figure out who's going to go where. And I, that's why I can't wait for the draft. So we can finally, you know, kind of figure out, okay, well, exactly. Wh- what is, what is Trey Lance do from here? What is, you know, uh, Justin Fields do from here, you know, so, and there's uh, so I'm many, to it. and there's so many good athletes. And when the draft gets closer, folks, we'll definitely break that down. That's something that me and Evan have, highly looked forward to since the moment before we even started doing this podcast in terms of content so we'll get there believe us it'll be there uh that wraps that up we're gonna go to the cash grab but when we come back folks you're gonna want to stay tuned we're talking nba we've got lamarcus aldridge and then kevin durant sending some shots on social media then we'll wrap it up with a little disheartening views on uh the united states men's soccer team because we got to talk about their disappointment as well we'll be right back this is down and out stay with us thanks for being here Hey guys, Dom here. I want to tell y'all about Anchor.fm. Yes, Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free and there's tons of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Don't know how to get your final product on all the major streaming platforms? Have no fear. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started and tell them Down and Out sent you. All right, let's get back to the show. 
Welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us. It's down and out. Time to talk a little NBA. And first, we're going to start with LaMarcus Aldridge joining the Empire. Yes, Darth Vader, Darth Maul, he has joined them. And that is the Brooklyn Nets of the NBA. Sweet motorcycle in the back. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry about that. No, it's Looking all good. Montana. Yeah, no kidding. Motorcycles out at, what is that, 844 in the morning. But uh, you know, we And we were talking about NBA the last time, and LaMarcus Aldridge was that question mark of where he's going to go. And you know, he's joined the Brooklyn Nets. So does that does that also just further your point of Brooklyn now truly being the team to beat in the East? Yeah, I mean, I think that was already pretty much decided. And mm-hmm. now it's a, you know, conversation of can can anybody really deal with them? I mean, they I would say that, you know, when you look at that squad, the number one thing that they needed was reinforcements down in, you know, down in the paint, down in the post. And with Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge, they definitely got the damn thing. And not to mention, too, that Blake Griffin has kind of played pretty well since getting to uh, Brooklyn. So um, it's – it's they they become scary in that regard. I mean, they are now a team that I uh, – I, 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 I really we, – we won't know for sure until we get there, but – I mean, on paper, I kind of think they're better than the Lakers now. I mean, I really do from a top-to-bottom standpoint. Unless the Lakers go make some additions, I, which, you know, Andre Drummond is still in that conversation, and that could, I would I would say, just levels the playing field again. Mm-hmm. For it's sure. Be, it's, it's definitely tough for anybody else out of the East, and now you have to start thinking, I mean, damn, are, are the Nets the favorite? And, and I kind of feel that they are. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and I think I more so equivalent this conversation. I'm already, I'm already so in on the Nets being the number one in the East that I'm already thinking, and this is just as a Lakers fan as well. I'm already thinking of okay, do the Lakers, do the Clippers, d- does the West have the firepower? Do, do the Utah Jazz right? Because let's not also forget that the Utah Jazz are the number one team in the West right now, right? I right. think, I think the. The top three teams, top four teams, the Jazz, Suns, Clippers, Lakers, have the obviously the best chance of of taking down the Nets. I, I the, the only thing that worries me about the Lakers is if they're healthy enough, you know, because obviously LeBron being out right now, the health has been an issue. You know, Janine Buss gets on. I forgot what sports radio channel it was, and says, "Oh, this is going to elevate our game. Los Angeles basketball wants this. We want, we want Kevin Durant. We want Kyrie Irving healthy. We want." LaMarcus Aldridge healthy. We want them in Brooklyn. It's only going to elevate us. That is great, but talk is cheap if the Brooklyn Nets come in and sweep you in five in the NBA Finals, right? And and it's the same thing as if you're talking as the the Juns, the Jazz, the Suns, or the Clippers. Without a doubt, number one in the East, and quite frankly, I think other than maybe the Utah Jazz, just because of how well they've been playing so far this season. I think you're they're they're your NBA favorites now and I didn't want to admit that cuz I just didn't want the the Brooklyn Nets to you know kind of have this I don't know the 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 New England Patriots kind of vibe to them. I didn't want to give it to them, but it, it is inevitable. They are the empire. They are the strongest force in the NBA right now. It just up to down talent wise and if they stay healthy, watch out. Yeah, I mean, they. I I would say that as long as that team remains intact, it's it's just going to be really really tough to beat. I mean, locker locker room wise, it, you know, that that's a lot of that's a lot of personality still in that locker room. You know, I think so you as just long don't know as, what happens I there. Think as long as they're in the spot they're in, they're fine. You know, I mean, we'll see mm-hmm. next season and you know over time. But it's so new and fresh 
and they're winning games and they're you know it seems like they feel good that I I think right now it's it'll be all right but but uh you know I mean it doesn't you're right I mean you, you talk about personality let's talk about Kevin Durant let's talk about this man threatening. <laughs> this, hold on this man this league this league my friends this league no i mean no other if i i, I do believe that you know for for whoever to, to give some quick context kevin durant hopped in michael rapaport's dms to kind of i guess slam him i guess rapaport said something i i i just saw the messages i didn't really pay too much attention to the context because you know as much as i do find that stuff entertaining i also like I kind of, with Kevin Durant and, like, sounding off on social media and in text messages, uh, it's almost like it's it's every year there's something related to it. Right. And, uh... And, and, and so I I'm, just, I'm just surprised that Kevin Durant did this on his main account and not his burner. That's what was Dude. even funnier. Kevin Durant went right to the main page and not one of his seven burners that he has. What what an what an absolute content maker Kevin Durant is. He is he is and what's wild is that it's so clear that he doesn't do it for attention. Like that's that's the thing with Kevin Durant. Like if you ever go look at all these moments where he has tweeted something crazy or he you know he does the burner stuff, it's not him trying to put himself on like the national spotlight. It's just that people, you know, these days in the internet era, everything's tracked, everything can be deduced. And so he just does he's not really like smooth about it is really why they become like national stories. He just does what he feels. And I mean, in the, in the case of messaging Michael Rappaport, just like truly gave no fucks. It, like, I mean, it was, it literally yeah. seemed like there was like, we were one message away of like, all right, come meet me in the middle of like, you know, goddamn mar- some marketplace in Brooklyn and literally we'll throw down right now. I love like, the, so I'm just reading through the lines as well right now. I'm trying to pick out my favorites. Yeah, the first one, the first one is Chuck doesn't need you as security. You pale pasty cum guzzling bitch. Wow, Dave Portnoy I mean, is exuberant right now. Exuberant well, yeah, between the the uh, the lawsuit win, I guess, and that I guess that's kind of what prompted it or yeah. whatever. Um, I but that's the thing is that when I first met read the messages and people were like, oh, Michael Rappaport, blah blah Portnoy, whatever, and then I just see like Charles Barkley is the first thing that Kevin Durant is talking about. I'm like, what is going on? Like, yeah. what do we? What is what? Kevin Durant is so mad at the world. Kevin all Durant you do, a- all you do is cocksuck other men for attention. Your life is a joke, you fucking pale cocksucker. I mean, he did repeat the same thing over, but I guess if you're just gonna call someone it, you're, you're just gonna go after and just and just keep hammering the point in. And yeah, he just was unleashing, just absolutely unleashing on this man. And it, it's it's uh, one of those things too that you know when you're saying this to Michael Rappaport of all people, like no matter what he's saying, people are not gonna hate it. You know, if he was saying this to, like, anybody that's even remotely likable, then, you know, it'd be like, Kevin Durant, you're an asshole, and blah, blah, you shouldn't have, yeah. whatever. But instead, everyone's like, oh, damn, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like, everyone's like, it's middle school playground, just like, ah, like, screaming. Like, everyone just can't believe it. So, it's a... Uh, like you said, this league, it's really fun. This it's, league. Uh, this league, it, folks. Ah, oh, man. I, 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 how ahead. does... I'm just saying, it's just... Uh, you know, I, I think you bring up a good point. Is if if it's not Michael Rappaport, somebody somebody else is gonna get really offended and get really mad at Kevin Durant. But I, I I think for all the amount of hate that Kevin Durant has gotten, and believe me, I was one of the people. I never tweeted at him. I don't do that. 
All right, I, I'm a I'm a sports media professional. I tend not to do that unless I unleashed a burner account. But for all the stuff he has taken over the years, like I I, I guess I'm just more refreshed to see that Kevin Durant is finally just done taking shit, and he's just gonna dish it back. Like, listen, like don't don't you know? I'm trying to think of that saying. Don't don't bring the don't bring the fight if you're not ready for the. For the something, I don't know, I butchered that line. But yeah, don't, don't, or don't bring a knife to a gunfight. That's more so what I'm saying. Is like, don't, don't question Kevin Durant and don't come at him if you're not ready for him to call you a pale, cocksucking, cum guzzling bitch. Well, <laughs> don't, then, don't be, well, don't, gonna, don't get, don't get your hopes up that you're going to win that kind of argument. You know, regardless of, you know, it, exactly how offensive or inoffensive the comments are, did you see the, uh, the apology that Kevin Durant made? Because he has apologized. I didn't even realize that at first. But he basically said on Twitter that me and you know Michael Rappaport talk crazier than this on a regular basis. And today he's pissed. My bad, Mike. Damn. Um, so apparently he didn't think he was going as hard as... Well, Maybe. that's tough. Okay, so so he's he's preferencing it as like, oh, me and Mike have this in, inside joke. Like we're buddies. Like we're inside joke guys. We're we're cool like that, and like we can talk to each other like that. Like like me and you have talked like that outside of the podcast together as like a joke, right? But people around us, like we're not celebrities. Nobody knows the real like friendship that Michael Rappaport and Kevin Durant has. So it's extremely awkward for Kevin to just automatically, you know, apologize there and, and say like, Oh my bad. This is how we talk. Like, well, Kevin, you have to give some pre like you, yeah, you should have given some preference and Michael Rappaport didn't help that cause at all. Cause he obviously didn't say anything about that either. So obviously it looks malicious well, in every intent that it that's was. That's my thing is that, you know, I, what that makes me, that response makes me think is that like, okay, so I think Kevin Durant's trying to save face by saying that, you know, oh, well we talk like this, blah, 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 blah. That being said, it is so like, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's so bitch made for Michael Rappaport to be like, uh, I, I get threats. I received a threat from Kevin Durant. Like Kevin Durant's going to come after his ass. Like, right. Like, like that is so like, dog, you are a 50 year old multimillionaire actor, podcaster, you know, sports personality. Like you are not some just fan. That Kevin Durant is like that, you know, is trying to hold power over. Right. You guys are both basically not in the same stratosphere, but you know, you guys are basically on a similar playing field, and 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 it all just kind of comes off as just like I don't know, whack. I mean, I I definitely don't like. Uh, it's it's whack that Kevin Durant is spending his time, you know, getting mad at Michael Rappaport. But I would say it's whacker that Michael Rappaport is, you know, I received threats, but I never thought I would get one from KD. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, I'm no, I like, mean, because you're right. Kevin Durant even wasting his time and energy on a guy like Michael Rappaport it, it is a little like, come on, Kev. Like, you're, you're better than this. Well, like, it's, but, but yeah, but we, but Michael Rappaport's response to this as well is just like that's that's a playing the victim card. Like that's just that that's a poor way to play it. And like you got what you asked for in a sense too. So I don't feel bad for either one of them. I just think in terms of entertainment standpoint, because I'm an immature seven year old, in terms of my humor, Kevin Durant just made me laugh harder. So I yeah, was like, for okay, sure, that's definitely that's <laughs> he definitely wins. The case. He wins. No, <laughs> that's that's how it works. And I mean, we know Kevin Durant is like this. 
I mean, we know Kevin Durant is down to be petty. He wants smoke. And, like, I mean, literally the other day on Twitter, somebody was like, man, it literally seems like you seek out the negativity. It, like, seems like your life must be miserable. And he just responded, absolutely. And it was just like, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, Kevin Durant, like, Kevin Durant doesn't give a fuck. Like, he abs he doesn't take anything that – I mean, he takes things seriously, but he doesn't take, any, like, this idea that he has, like, a certain standard to live up to, you know, seriously. Like, it's it's a very interesting dynamic and, and, and not really something you see in sports all that much amongst, you know, guys that are considered to be, you know – or, I mean, Kevin Durant's arguably of this generation a top two or three player. Yeah, know, without so. a doubt. And I was just about to say, like, you, you could, like, the, the okay boomer in me wants to be like, well, this is why, you know, Kevin Durant will never receive, the, like, he'll never be considered the number one in the league over LeBron James. Because I don't think LeBron James would never do this kind of thing, right? And so the okay boomer in me comes out, it's like, well, Kevin Durant is not handling it maturely. Like, like real champions don't go at people like this, blah, blah, blah. But, but it, it's, it's like I preferenced earlier like it, he he has clearly shown he wants this this is just his style his game he doesn't have to be LeBron James he can still be the second best player in the NBA and still act like this don't bring the smoke to Kevin Durant if you're if you're not ready for it you know and, and I, I just don't I don't blame him for the way he acted do I wish he maybe it acted differently yeah of course because you want to see you know Kevin Durant just kind of go off you want to see him achieve the high level of success that he is capable of in the NBA without all these off the court distractions. But then again, like I, I just I don't blame him. I don't blame him for it. And you know what? At the end of the day, when he makes when he gets into the Hall of Fame, he'll still be able to say he got to do all this, win a couple rings, couple scoring titles, and be, you know, have his gold jacket. Yeah, he'll be in the Hall of Fame with a bronze bus after doing all this stuff, which is honestly pretty gangster. Pretty damn gangster of Kevin Durant. Yeah, I, I know that, you know, generally the busts are just of the head, but if they can just kind of make it the torso, too, so that, like, he has a basketball in one hand and, like, a phone. Yes, yes, other, I was literally just about to say, so like, with, with the Twitter logo kind of evident on the screen a little bit so you could just see, oh, my God, dude, that's fire. Please, please email you know the, what to the do, NBA, NBA Hall of Fame. Yeah, You please, know what to do. At Down and Out is going to email the NBA Hall of Fame department and get there and, and get this done for his Hall of Fame induction in the next 15 years or so. Great idea. That was fantastic. Uh, anything else you got to say about this before we, we kind of wrap up this show and move on to our next topic? Yeah, I was going to say we're running out of time, so no, I'm, I'm pretty much good. Yeah, no, let's uh, let's let's move on here. Uh, you know, one thing we want to talk about before we head out of here, folks, is just uh, because Evan is a soccer guy, and as soccer becomes more prevalent, well, we're going to be sure to have Evan talk a lot of soccer with our soccer fans out there. It's been something that I think the down and out fans have already been showing a lot of interest in, which is great because you have Evan here. He's kind of our our go to soccer expert over me. So I want to get the discussion going here because the only thing soccer wise I'll follow is the Olympics, the Euro, the big tournaments, right? And the big one news out of here, obviously, it's the United States men's team once again failing to qualify for the Olympics. And I guess before you know, we get into what the issue is, I guess, you know, just what are your takes on just the overall severity of that situation? It's, it's just, it sucks because Really, the number one thing from a U.S. men's national team, you know, fan perspective is just thinking about all this young talent that we have. And then for the U23 team to fail to qualify for the Olympics for the third straight Olympics is really just kind of it's it's depressing. 
granted, I I do I think the I think most people who follow it closely have you know have brought this up, and I do think it's worth you know uh, acknowledging is that yeah I mean literally pretty much the top like I would say seven or eight under twenty three players for the U.S. did not play for the U twenty three team. I mean you know you've got Christian Pulisic, you've got Timothy Weah, you've got uh, Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney. You've got all these guys that are going to be mainstays of the U.S. men's national team or in a breaking through in Europe, but, you know, have been called up to the senior team due to, you know, just being good enough to play at that level. Right. And, and, you know, and considering that we do have World Cup qualifying coming up, it is more important that they qualify for the World Cup. I'm not saying that at all. But it is just such a sign of, I don't want to say the, the mentality or just the the kind of state of U.S. soccer over the past four or five years that that they missed out again. It, it really does suck because, I mean, to you know, you you lose you lose to Mexico and that sucks, you know. But Mexico has like I would say is on par with the U.S. in terms of young talent in a lot of ways. Maybe not so much the frequency of it, but the uh, just the the top level stars that they have kind of matched U.S. in that regard. But you know. Honduras is not a bad U23 team, but that game that they lost to them the other day was really, really depressing. I mean, they just didn't have creativity in the final third. They didn't really have much, you know, engine, you know, specifically. They just didn't seem like they were making their impression on the game. And sure enough, Honduras goes up towards the end of the first half, which is always a bad sign. And then on top of that, I, I like uh, I like David Ochoa a lot, the the young goalkeeper for the U.S. I do mm-hmm. think he's he's a future goalkeeper of the United States, but makes this royally bad you know mistake and and it just I don't know it just stinks it just really it's it's depressing because it's just another four year stretch that we're gonna have to say okay well you know the the the, the youth is talented but it's not so good we're not you know pumping it out to that degree that. You know, we were, can, we're can start competing with, with the, the the best in the world. So well, to speak. yeah, like if you go look at Europe and South America, if you whether you know it's like top teams like France or Italy or what have you, and then in South America you're looking at like you know Argentina and Brazil. That's where the U.S. really wants to get to, right? And it's and with the amount of talent that's coming out, you you start to think that we're getting there. But this was just kind of one of those like moments where just very much you know you know, like a stamp on the forehead of you right. guys aren't there yet. I think, I, I, I think just as a fan, like a, as a generic fan of really like the big tournaments, like I said, and just watching the U.S. men's team, whether it's the Olympics, the CONCAF, World Cup, whatever it may be, I think it's just a setback for the culture of soccer in, in the U.S. It's because, you know, they've gone on this this long stretch of trying to build themselves up and show the world that, you know, we can compete with you, with the, the Germany's, the Spain's, the, the powerhouses, the Brazil's, you know, it, it, just having this happen time and time again, because it's, it's not the first time. And it, it, it's, I guess, a setback in terms of the culture that's trying to be built and try to bring soccer to the forefront here and kind of bring it to be like maybe that that fourth sport, you know, the, the there's football, basketball, baseball, soccer, you would want, right? Maybe even over hockey, but it, it's just tough when, you're just watching this, and as a fan who doesn't follow as close, you know the first reaction for me is, man, that's just disappointing. Like you know, because you get the Olympics, who doesn't watch the Olympics? And you've got to watch soccer games. You're just you know, pride and nationalism for the United States is is on full display, and you just don't 
get to see that now. And I think that just hurts the everyday, the everyday fan, the guys who maybe don't follow as closely. I'm just kind of speaking as the, the, the generic everyday fan of us soccer. And it, it just, it, it sucks. It, like you said, it does suck to see. And, you know, I, I just wonder, do, do you think, does it get better before it gets worse again? Or does it get worse before it gets better? I think it definitely, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I think it definitely gets better. I do think that this is more of a, you know, a result of things that were happening three or four years ago than it is of this is where we're at and where we're going to be at. Because like I said, literally, I would say the top 10 young U.S. men's national team players from Christian Pulisic all the way down to like guys like uh, Conrad De La Fuente, who plays for Barcelona, um, you know, I mean, these are guys that are extremely talented and are playing at, you know, a very high level in Europe. We will be fine. And I do think that, you know, U.S. men will qualify for the World Cup in 2022. God, they need to. But it's just more, I think really what pains me as a soccer fan is that you just know that that they're not maximizing the 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 moment that they have. And, 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 and that there's... You know, there's so much youth potential, but if you can't properly assemble them, if you can't properly provide a culture from a national team perspective, there's, you know, that energy that is required. That's that's the big difference between the international and club game is that there is a different kind of personality and culture required to to be consistently successful on an international level. And I uh, I you know, there's still questions in that regard. And, and, and those, you know, could have not been answered completely, but maybe been, you know, eased uh, with, a, with, you know, qualifying for the Olympics. But now that they haven't, it just kind of feels like, okay, well, we've got all this talent, but it doesn't seem like we're willing to do what's necessary to, to move on with this. Because I really do, I mean, you know, you think about it, Christian Pulisic is a guy that can play for pretty much any club in the world. Mm-hmm. Gino Dess is a guy who can play anywhere in the world pretty much at this point. Weston McKinney, who plays for Juventus, has proven that basically. I mean, these are guys that, you know, you look at and you say, okay, this is the future of the men's national team, and it's not just a These future, are the people that a, we build the, the future of U.S. soccer around. Like, this is, this is your if core. You if, you don't, if you don't make the most of what we've got going on, it's like having a good recruiting class in college sports. You, ha- you, you, you know, you're like, wow, this is extremely exciting. But we can easily waste this talent. I mean, we've wasted tons of talent over the years from you know from a U.S. men's national team perspective. Now that we've got just a you know a, a flurry of youth coming in, it's it's concerning that it's just it hasn't immediately translated to results yet. And and I mean, it's not even immediately. It's you know over the past five years. So I I don't know, man. It's we're, there's a lot to be seen, and, and World Cup qualifying will make a lot of people feel much better if they just take care of business in that regard. But since we're not done with that yet, it is it is one of those things where you're just like, oh, God, not again. Like, it's it's tough. You know, the U.S. does always seem to kind of get it figured out when it comes to that World Cup qualifying. But, you know, I, I just think, like I said, from the everyday fan perspective – of uh, just g- generic fandom more so I guess I should say it just stinks that we have to kind of a- after missing out on the Olympics last season and, and after everything that you're just trying to get behind something you know when the Olympics come around and you know unfortunately 
the soccer team not being there, I just I, I think it hurts the the state of U.S. men's soccer. You know, and, and credit to our women who always get the job done. And I think that goes without saying they deserve more respect than what they're given. Um, you know, I just I just hope that you know sooner rather than later the men can get on that level and you know the U.S. can really show that you know the athletes are there. I just I have such a hard time believing that the United States doesn't have the athletes that can go and compete against the best in the world. I think it just comes down to how they're being brought up. How are the youth academies getting these guys ready? How are those youth teams, youth organizations, as you mentioned, getting these guys ready? Maybe that's what people need to take a closer look at. I don't know. Oh, I mean, everyone who follows the U.S. men's national team closely completely agrees. that You know, it's it's a crying shame how little – you know, the, 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 you know, basically the, I, I don't think it's called the U.S. Soccer Federation, but basically the powers that be have not, you know, invested in stateside and ensuring that, you know, more and more opportunities are given to these potential athletes and to, you know, to chase soccer as a, as a thing. Because right now, I mean, really, if you want to be a great soccer player as an American, you will at some point, probably young as can be like 11 to 13 years old, go to Europe. I mean, and train over there. And, and, you know, I mean, that only makes sense. That's where the best soccer in the world is played. Right. That being said, if you really want to be a powerhouse, if you want to be a, a great team, then the investment has to come stateside. And until that happens, you're going to continue to see stuff like with the Olympic qualifying for the U23s. So it just kind of is what it is right now. And, and you know, there's not exactly a lot of moves being made. And from a front office perspective, not that that's what, you know, the, the U.S. Soccer Federation kind of is, but it's it's – it's a, I don't know, it's just kind of depressing. So um, I, I, that's really all I got to say about it. Yeah, and, and like I said, before we start talking about this, folks, soccer is obviously something that when it comes around, Evan's a big soccer guy. He, he's going to always be able to shed some light on this. I, I'll tune in when I see a game, but because of the amount of feedback that we've gotten about soccer, we're going to start including that more. We talk about you know anything that comes up, and, and when the time comes for the Olympics, regardless, big international tournaments come around. Like This is where you're going to want to stay with. You know, Evan and me have talked about it, it just in, in private as well, whether we're sitting at a bar or watching a game on TV. It'll be there, so be sure to stay tuned with Down and Out. We're going to talk everything as we always Here's do. Here's the summer. Get excited. Yes, we'll, sir. We'll definitely be picking teams to root for, so 100%. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it for sure. Drinking games and all. Folks, it has been a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning in. Like I said, next episode, get ready. We're going to break down the final four, get you ready for the end and the wrap-up of the NCAA tournament. A lot of fun coming up. Expect that later this week, probably on Friday. Evan, any last departing words? Um, not, uh, not especially just roll tide. We'll, we'll get over it. I'm not over it, but we will get over it. Um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, be good out there, folks. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at down and out. We'll give you a follow back. Talk to us, interact with us. Tell us what you want to hear. Listen to our shows. It'll be on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google, all the major platforms. Be sure to tune in. But, folks, this has been Down and Out. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Later.